Our scripture this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 9. A portion of it is a very familiar portion of scripture actually for us, but 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. For I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Uh, yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that, as I said, ye may be ready. Lest happily, if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we, not, uh, that we, uh, say not ye, should be ashamed." Uh, in this same confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof ye had noticed before, that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever." We have been spending some time going through uh, some of the portions of 2 Corinthians, and I know that we've kind of sort of skipped over a couple of chapters for those of you that maybe have been keeping track. And uh, the previous couple of chapters here are uh, kind of part of a discourse that actually leads up to this uh, statement here as Paul is sharing with the church at Corinth, and he's actually sharing a little bit about the rocky relationship that he had with them. Most of us, again, are familiar that uh, the letter, the first letter that he wrote in 1 Corinthians uh, was a very terse letter and obviously uh, probably upset some individuals. We know that at least some of the individuals that uh, he was pointing at and particularly addressing some of the very blatant sin uh, that had been in Corinth obviously were not happy with him. However, there were others that were very faithful believers. And uh, what we gather as we take a look at 2 Corinthians is, is that uh, the church received the word of God and responded to the word of God and uh, began to alter some of their practices and some of the things that they did. As we come to this particular chapter in chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, uh, the Apostle Paul is actually sharing with the church uh, that he has been bragging on them. <laughs> And uh, he is engaged in ministry, and particularly as he goes into Macedonia, uh, he has been bragging about uh, that they have been good givers and uh, that they actually wanted to give and to support uh, the ministry there. And so he is sharing that he is actually sending some individuals ahead of time uh, to help them in kind of gathering the offering that they had promised uh, that they would send for the ministry there. And he's basically saying he's going to do it. Uh, he, he knows that they'd promised it, but now he wants to come and actually receive it so that everybody won't be caught off guard instead that the offering will be received and the ministry will go on and uh, that uh, God's people will be very active in that ministry. As he addresses the Corinthian church and uh, we read particularly there in verse 7 some instructions that have to do uh, with the whole mindset of giving and I entitled the message Cheerful Givers uh, because I believe that the ultimate focus here is having to do with the attitude that we have as we give unto the Lord. But in verse 7 it says, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. 
I uh, read a, a cute account about a, uh, a young man that was fresh out of seminary, was thinking about going into ministry. Uh, he wasn't quite sure just yet, and so in the process, he thought it might help out his career a little bit if he took a different job for a little while, and so he decided to take a job as a policeman and figured that he would do that for several months or maybe a couple of years before he actually launched out and considered going into ministry. And so he went to, to the academy there, and he passed the physical physical examination, and uh, then he took a, a written examination, and then he took an oral examination to ascertain uh, his alertness of mind and his ability to be able to act quickly and wisely in emergencies. And so among many of the questions that was asked, one of the questions was asked is, what would you do to disperse a frenzied crowd? And immediately, without any hesitation whatsoever, he said, I would take up an offering. <laughs> <laughs> He'd been to seminary. And, uh, you know, uh, preachers are always accused of those that are, uh, you know, they're going to take up an offering. And uh, I uh, used to, to tell people about the, the pastors that uh, got together and talked about how they were going to divide up the offering. And uh, the one pastor said, he says, I have a really simple way that I divide up the offering. He said, I, you see, I got a little room in the back. It's just a little room. It's about six foot square. And he says, I go back there and I take the offering plates and I throw all the money up in the air. And he says, and I've got a line drawn across the middle of the room, and whatever lands on the left side is the Lord's money. Whatever lands on the right side is my money. And uh, the other pastors were listening, and one of them says, well, I have sort of the same thing. He says, I got a little room like that. He says, but I have a circle that I have in the middle of the room, and I throw all the money up in the room, and whatever lands inside the circle is the Lord's money, and whatever lands outside the circle is my money. And uh, the third pastor said, no, you guys are doing it all wrong. He says, I have a little room like that. He says, I go to that room and I throw all the money up in the air and what the Lord wants, he can hold on to. The rest will fall on the floor, that's mine. <laughs> we don't do things like that around here, just want you to know that. Uh, and uh, we're much more interested in supporting the Lord's work. And it's kind of interesting that when we start talking about giving, uh, people almost automatically kind of just, you know, they start to shudder. Nobody likes to hear about giving and, and talk about giving. And I want uh, this morning, however, uh, for us to take a look at uh, what the scriptures are really telling us, because I, I think that sometimes we become very uh, uh, we become very hesitant and we have a tendency to back off just a little bit when we hear about giving, when in fact the subject here is not really challenging us about the amount that we give. He's not talking about quantity here. What he's really talking about is quality. He's not talking about how much we give. What he's talking about is how well we give and what kind of an attitude and what kind of a heart that we have in relationship uh, to giving. If we were to talk about amounts, we might go back into uh, the book of Malachi. Some of you are familiar with that passage. We're not going to be focusing on that this morning, but uh, I will read these words for you. In Malachi chapter 3, beginning at verse 8, it says, Will a man rob God? Uh, yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. And ye are cursed with a curse. Ye have robbed me, even this whole nation." Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord, if I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour out you a blessing, and there shall not be room enough to receive it. Uh, I know that uh, many of you have been uh, listening to some of the uh, political discussions and the political uh, debates in the midst of our world today, and uh, there's a variety of candidates. The, the things have been kind of slimming down just recently in the last week or so, uh, but uh, some of the candidates that were involved in running and have been espousing uh, some of their discussions, of course, talk about things that sound really good. Uh, I think they sound really good anyways. I don't know about you how many people like things that are free. <laughs> 
You know, I, like, I always say, if it's free, it's for me. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, we like things that are free. And uh, so when they start talking about uh, free health care and they start talking about, you know, all kinds of other uh, free things, free college, and I'm not as interested in free college now that I'd be the taxpayer paying for it for somebody else to go free. But regardless of that, you know, free college and free health services and uh, free other kinds of services uh, that would be in the midst of our society. And we're always talking about those things. And, and by the way, they, they sound good. I, I like the idea. I'm not real thrilled about the concept of paying for them because uh, I don't know if you've ever learned something. Um, things aren't all free, just in case you didn't know that. And uh, things always have a cost somewhere in the process. And uh, I, uh, uh, But what, what I do want to do is, is I want to share with you, I was talking with an individual at work the other day, and, and he was talking about all this free stuff. And, and you know, I was, I was uh, kind of just going on about it. And I said, you know what, I'm all in favor of it. I said, I have a plan. And the plan is, is that we are going to eliminate Social Security. Ooh. We're going to eliminate disability. We're going to eliminate Medicare and Medicaid. We're going to eliminate all social services that are provided by the government. And we are going to tell everybody in America to go to church and bring all the ties into the storehouse. And the church would be able to take care of everybody. Now stop and think about this for a moment. Do you realize that if in fact, now I'm not, and this isn't picking anybody, myself or anybody else, that if in fact if everybody in America attended church and they gave, as the scriptures say, a tenth of their income as a minimum to the Lord's work, that the church would be able to supply all that Social Security supplies, all that all insurances supply, all that all Medicare supplies, all that everything supplies that comes from the government or from insurances, and there would be two times left over? Think about it. God had a plan. Now, we don't follow God's plan as a country, and that's okay. I'm not so sure we need to as a country. Uh, but what we do need to understand is that God has a very good plan. And God doesn't, have, and by the way, when we read the Bible, guess what? Everything's not free. Uh, your salvation is free to you and me because Jesus offers it to us. But guess who paid for it? He did. He paid for it. And he paid a deep price for your salvation and mine. But this morning, I want us to stop and just give a consideration here of what Paul is actually sharing. And that has to do with really more, not so much the quantity, but having to do with the quality, having to do with being cheerful givers. And in the midst of it, he addresses some very simple things. I want to suggest to you that, first of all, he addresses uh, the very simple fact that there is a principle that's involved. If you take a look at verse 6, it says, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Now, now, I think that most of you have probably been around me long enough to know that I'm not going down some path of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Uh, I know that some of you every now and then will get some mail and it'll tell you that if you send in $20 to Reverend so-and-so that you're going to end up getting $100 back somehow. Uh, you know, and, and we have all those kinds of things. And they talk about that if you're really spiritual and you're really close to the Lord, the Lord's going to bless you and you're going to have more money than you know what to do with. And if you're really faithful to the Lord, uh, he's going to give you health and he's going to give you wealth and he's going to give you prosperity. Now, I don't know how many of you, I like the idea of health. I really like the idea of health. I, I like the idea of wealth. I even like the idea of prosperity. But I've got some news for you. That isn't taught in the scriptures and it has nothing to do with general spirituality. If that was the case, what about Jesus? 
because he was neither in those situations. Brothers and sisters, uh, there is a principle, however, that is shared here. And it's a principle that has to do with sowing and reaping. It has to do with planting, with expectation of harvesting. And there is a sense in which the Apostle Paul is reminding the church at Corinth, and I believe the Holy Spirit is reminding us today of the very simple fact that we need to understand that our giving uh, should be an exercise of obedience and worship. And that we should, from our hearts, have a desire to give unto the Lord. Now, again, I'm not talking numbers. I'm talking about attitude. I'm talking about heart. I'm talking about our obedience from the will and our worship from the heart. The very simple fact that we ought to be giving simply because it's his. Do you realize that you don't really have anything except it's come from the Lord? That's just a simple fact. You can't, you know, I always get into the discussion with people. They say, well, you know, no, I have what I said, listen, tell you what. I said, you stop breathing for 10 minutes and don't take the breath that God's given you. And I said, then we'll discuss it after that. You know, the truth is, is that every breath that we have, do you ever listen to your heartbeat? There's somebody here. I won't mention her name, Georgia. But uh, <laughs> she happens to have a heart valve. And uh, uh, I, I remember uh, back in those days and all that sort of thing. And uh, she has, a, she has a, a valve in there. And if you, get, if you get close to her and stand there and everybody's really quiet, guess what? You can hear it go click, 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 click. And you know what? I don't know about you. I'm really thankful that the Lord gave doctors a lot of wisdom and ability to be able to do stuff like that. Uh, Georgia's been uh, living for what? Uh, what, well, you're 29 now? And you were, oh, uh, <laughs> it's, been, it's been quite a few years now. How many? 22 years. Isn't that amazing that she got that when you were what? Three, four? Oh, anyways. Uh, <laughs> in all seriousness, every time you hear that click, there's got to be a thankfulness that the heart is beating. Do you ever lie in bed and hear your heart beat? You get a little nervous when it stops. I know people, I know people that, that they feel their heart. Now, I, I, have to, I have to tell you honestly, I'm oblivious more times than not to life. I don't pay a lot of attention to stuff uh, that goes on. I'm not, a, I'm not a worrier, and I don't worry about stuff like that. But I know lots of people that get into panic mode because they feel, they say they feel their heart jump in their chest, right? Now, they do, and I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from it. You know, every now and then, hearts skip beats, and they do all kinds of things. They do a little, you know, funky things that are there. Uh, and, and obviously, while they're worrying about what it just did a little while ago, it's actually functioning pretty good. But there's a sense where we think about how important our heartbeat is. And yet the reality is, is that God gives us those heartbeats and God gives us our breath. God gives us our life and we need to stop and with a sense of obedience and a sense of worship, there's a sense where we ought to be having a desire from the depths of our heart to give back to him because after all, everything that we have has come from him and he's providing it for us. Our approach needs to be a very simple approach that is actually very similar to the farmer who plants the field. The scripture gives us this principle of sowing and reaping and, and uh, the whole concept of, of doing so. Uh, in, 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 we can do it sparingly and we reap sparingly. We can do it, uh, we can sow bountifully or we can reap bountifully. And there's a sense in which as the farmer plants, first of all, he does it with a sense of hope. Now, 
This is a little bit of an aside, but I can't help but uh, describe uh, the description that's over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we read all about the rapture and all of that, and it talks about don't sorrow as others who have no hope. And that the believer it goes through some of the same things that the non-believer goes through, but when we go through them, we go through them with hope. We have a genuine sense of hope. Uh, I've lost loved ones. I've lost family and friends. And, and, and I've done a lot of funerals for a lot of people. In the midst of it, I have to tell you, emotionally, it's not easy to let go. But I can tell you this one thing. I have always found in the very simple fact that when I know that they knew the Lord, I know for a fact that one of these days, guess what? The Lord's going to get real desperate and he's going to let me into heaven. <laughs> and I'm going to get to see them and be with them again too. There's a sense of hope. Now, is there sorrow? Yes. Is there pain? Yes. But there's hope in the midst of that. And we also need to understand that as we give of ourselves and we give of our substance, there's a sense in which we need to be planting in hope. We need to, and by the way, think about what goes on when you plant something, and when a, particularly when a farmer does. Uh, think about it for just a little bit, that the farmer takes this seed, and he takes it out, and he puts it into the ground, and he has to let go of it. He can't control it anymore. It's already into the ground. Uh, I noticed, I, I was driving over east this uh, past week, and, and I noticed that uh, there's fields over there that are already planted. Actually, there's a little green stuff coming up already. Uh, they've gotten out and they've planted some fields, and some farmers got way ahead of the game. It's been kind of a, a light winter, and they've been out there getting ahead of the game. But you know what they're doing? It They're doing it in hope because they don't know what the spring's going to be like. Spring could be a washout. Could be a beautiful spring. Could be a washout of a spring. They don't really know, but they do it in a sense of hope and in a sense of trust. And obviously we need to let go and we need to let go of what we have and what God has provided for us. And we need to depend upon God. The farmer puts it in the ground and the farmer takes, instead of putting his money in the bank, think about this, instead of taking, putting his money in the bank, he puts his money into seed, he takes the seed and he puts it in the ground. <laughs> uh, if you've been watching the stock, stock market go up and down, everybody says, well, maybe it's better in the ground. I don't know, but, but you know, truth of the matter, it's not as bad as everybody's making it out to be. But, you know, we do so with hope. But as we do it with hope, we're looking forward to the harvest because there's a harvest and harvests are neat. Now, I can remember growing up uh, when I was a, a young person and still high school and so forth, uh, I got a chance a couple of times to go out to my great-grandfather's farm. My great-grandfather was a, what was called a truck farmer, and uh, he had a small farm, and he had actually had about 5,000 chickens. Uh, but uh, we, in fact, we call, if you hear my kids talking, we talk about Grandpa Chicken. It's just, that's, they had the chickens, that's, we called them, but it was my great-grandfather, and uh, we used to go out there, and he had a farm, he had a greenhouse, and he grew uh, a variety of plants that would be planted for tomato plants, pepper plants, those kinds of things that would be put in. Uh, he died at the age of 83, uh, he actually had cancer, and uh, he had died at the age of 83, and that year, right before that, he'd harvested them, he planted 5,000 tomato plants. So it gives you a little bit of an idea. He did a lot all himself uh, in the midst of it. But uh, we would go out sometimes, and he would get people to come help harvest. And I remember going out picking beans. Uh, that's a little bit of a I remember going out picking peas. I remember going out picking tomatoes and doing some of those things once in a while and engaged in the harvest. But harvest is kind of neat because we don't recognize that harvest is a multiplication. Stop and think about it for just a minute. You take one piece of corn, one kernel of corn, and you put it into the ground, and what grows up is a corn stalk. And the corn stalk has several ears of corn on it after it's been fertilized, okay? And from those ears of corn, how many pieces, kernels of corn are on there? 
There's tons and tons of them. The multiplication is unbelievable. So it goes from one kernel of corn to, you know, literally hundreds and hundreds of pieces of corn that then come from that little seed that has been planted. Brothers and sisters, we need to understand that one of the things that God is telling us is, is that when we give to the Lord with the cheerful heart, when we give to the Lord, not just of our substance, not just of our money, but when we give to the Lord of ourselves, when we give to the Lord of our substance, when we give to the Lord of our talents, when we give to the Lord of our time, guess what? He provides and he blesses, not only as we hopefully wait for it, but he brings a harvest and he provides immeasurably above all that we can think or ask or hope for. Our attitudes and our actions on giving need to be with a sense of hope and a sense of harvest. Not just about money, but our time and our talents and our beings. And we need to ask ourselves, do we understand that principle that as we give to the Lord, he always gives back in an abundance of what we have given to him. There also needs to be, in not only that there's a sense of principle, but there is a general sense of practice. And the truth is, is that in proper giving, in verse 7 it says, it goes on, it says, every man according as he has purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. And there needs to be a sense in which we, in ourselves, we, we have, a, we have a, a purpose in our heart to give. I want to suggest to you that there's a sense in which we need to do careful giving. And I say careful, focusing on care, and full, uh, that we need to give of ourselves, we need to plan, we need to prepare, we need to do it on purpose, we need to know that our giving is intentional, not by, it's not a matter what the Lord can get out of you, <laughs> it's really what can we give to the Lord of ourself and of our substance, and we ought to have a desire to give, a purpose to give. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to tell you, and I think I can say this, I don't, and you, I think, figured out, I'm not a person that does a lot of sermons every year on giving. Uh, I just, I just don't, I really don't see the purpose. I really believe that God's people learn in him and they grow in him. And as we go closer to him, uh, we automatically develop a sense in which we want to give. And, and I want to tell you in this church that we are good, we're a good giving church. We really are a good giving church. When you look at the numbers that, that we have as a church and you look at the history of the church, you look at the situation, the truth of the matter is, is that people are good givers. I'm not here to beat anybody about giving. What I really believe is, is that I want us to hear what the Lord is telling us about the continual encouragement of, of giving carefully, but also giving cheerfully from the heart, having a desire to give, an expression of love and worship to God. Uh, the scriptures, you know, to support it, not grudgingly or necessity. How many people love to pay taxes? No, I didn't think so. I didn't think so. You know, if you're in the if you're in the process, you know, we're by the way, April fifteenth rolling around, and this is going to be the first year in three four years that taxes are actually due on April fifteenth. We've been getting little extensions to the sixteenth, to the seventeenth, and and all that for the last couple of years, but it falls right in the middle of the week now, so it's fifteenth this year. So fifteenth, get your taxes done, or make sure you get your extension in so that you can do it all the way till October. I never quite knew why somebody wanted to put it off that far, but anyways, uh, you know, nobody likes to pay taxes. You know, and I, I'm one of those, you sit there and you literally, I got to write a check. I, 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 I have to be honest with you, I procrastinate on it because I, I just know. And there's situations in, in, in my situation and so forth because I have to pay Social Security and stuff like that. Uh, I end up actually writing a check sometimes. And that's okay uh, because the truth of the matter is I've been abundantly blessed. And the reality is, is the reason I have to write a check is because I've had some income. We need to remember that. But we don't like to do it because we have to do it. And we don't like to do it, and we get in a situation where it's kind of grudgingly. Some of you may be aware of the fact that at one time there used to be a thing called a pew tax in churches. 
Now, we can't do that because we don't have wonderful, plush, exciting. You know, if we had pews that were, you know, were recliners or something, maybe we could get away with that. But, you know, you can't get away with that when you have plain old wooden pews and so forth. But in churches, there used to be a pew tax, and people went to church, and they paid a tax to the church so that they could actually sit in the pew that they sat in. And some of you may be aware that there are some groups. There's a group that's actually called the Free Methodist. And uh, the Free Methodists are a church, they're Methodists that moved away from the Methodist people uh, because they were no longer going to have a pew tax. <laughs> and that's why they're called the Free Methodists. Some people think that it has to do with the freedom of grace, and it doesn't. It has to do with not paying taxes. Even in the church, there was taxes. Brothers and sisters, we don't like to pay taxes. We don't like to pay because we have to. What we need to do is we need to learn to give cheerfully. And we need to ask ourselves very bluntly, what is my practice of giving? Not how much do I give, but do I have a giving heart? Do I have a generous heart? Do I have a heart that desires to give? Do I give cheerfully, not grudgingly or of necessity, not because I have to, not because God tells me I have to, but because I recognize what God has done for me and I want to give back to him. That's what the Apostle Paul is challenging them with. Uh, lastly, there is uh, described here not only just the principle and the practice, but there is a promise. When you look at verse 8, it says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Can I put it in simple terms this morning without going into great detail? I want to tell you a very simple fact. God will always supply and bless his children. God will always supply for and bless his children. Now, I grew up in a large family. I was the oldest of seven. And uh, I can tell you, we didn't have a lot of extra stuff. Uh, I mentioned at the beginning that the wish book used to come out. And uh, that's pretty much what most of it was, was a wish. <laughs> it was still fun. And I want to tell you, though, I still to this very day have no clue how my parents provided the Christmases that we had. I really don't know. Now, you've heard me tell the story one year. In high, when I was in high school, my big Christmas gift was a snow shovel. And uh, by the way, I asked for it. That's what I wanted, and I got it. And I can tell you that I shoveled a lot of driveways, and I made a lot of money with that shovel <laughs> for a kid. So it was a good gift. That's what I wanted. But... Uh, the truth of the matter is, is that I have no idea how they made it, how it is that there was always food on the table. I have no idea how it is that they provided for us in the midst of those days. But I do know this, that our Heavenly Father has unlimited resources. He's the one that's created us and formed us and given us literally life and breath and health. He's the one that has provided salvation for us through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need every now and then to take some time to stop and remember their very simple promise that he will always supply and bless his children. He has an abounding grace. There's an old-fashioned saying that says you cannot outgive God. It's not just an old-fashioned saying. It's a true statement. You cannot outgive God. When you give to the Lord of your substance, when you give to the Lord of your strength, when you give to the Lord of your time and your talents and your treasures, the Lord always, always, always outgives you. We need to recognize that there's not only an abounding grace, but there are abundant goods. The truth is, is that he is all-sufficient. He supplies for all of our needs. I don't know how many times you've had this experience. I know that I've had it many times in my life when the Lord has provided for needs that I didn't even know I had yet. <laughs> but I look back and realize the Lord provided for it even before I knew I had the need. 
Brothers and sisters, the scriptures call us to be cheerful givers. This is not a message that says we need to give more. This is a message that says that we need to stop and take a look at our hearts as we give of ourself, as we give of our substance, as we give of that which the Lord has provided for us. Are we cheerful givers? Are we excited to give back to the Lord? Are we excited to minister to the body of believers? Are we excited to recognize that God's given us everything and we give back to him? It's a very simple principle. It's a very straightforward practice. It's a wonderful promise. He always outgives his people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. And Lord, we thank you for the ways that you provide for us. Lord, truly, even as your word tells us, you provide exceedingly abundantly above all that we ever ask or thought or hope for. For, Lord, we pray that you'd be pleased to just touch our hearts. Lord, in the midst of your word, remind us of the importance of being cheerful in our giving, uh, to have a desire to want to give back to you. Lord, literally our lives, our breaths, our heartbeats, everything is in your hands. Lord, we consider them very precious. Lord, we thank you that we have all that we have. And so, Lord, we pray that you will give us hearts that have a desire to give back to you, to honor you, to glorify you, and to allow your work and your ministry to press on. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. Help us today to once again refresh our hearts and make us cheerful givers. For we ask it in Jesus' name.